What a dream come true for an 11 o'clock service, time change Sunday. <laughs> Whoa, what are we going to do with all this time this morning? Here we are, you know, it just feels so restful, and you're all looking, I mean, people look their best on time change Sunday, you get an extra hour of time to just get ready, and about, you know, and so it's good to see you all, and I'm happy to be here with you. My name is Dan Mike, um, and I'm excited to spend some time in God's Word with you today. And so, you know, yeah, if, um, if you've been tracking along with us, we have been studying and thinking and considering through prayers, some famous prayers in the New Testament, and hoping for that to sort of challenge and shape and uh, encourage us in our prayer uh, lives as well. I mean, it's, it's really a time where we, more than ever, I, I know every generation says that, but I mean, it's really a time where we need to be prayer, a prayerful church and prayerful people. So we're about halfway through on this six-week thing. Um, hi, Rebecca. She just smiled at me when I looked at her. Uh, we're about six weeks through, and uh, this will be about halfway. Next week, Rod is going to share on Thessalonians, and then the week after that, Dr. Neil Martin is going to be here. If anybody remembers, there was some subdued murmuring over here, I heard. Uh, he used to work here at this church, and now he's been in Oxford, England, doing ministry at Oxford University, as well as studying, and he's going to be here, and he wanted me to tell you that this Friday, he's going to be in America, and um, starting from then on, you can, you can meet with him, you can talk to him, if, you're, if it's on your heart at all as to what God is doing in um, that college setting, that, you, you know, very atheistic world that he's living in, and, and how some things that he's been doing have helped, and he's also going to be having some events here as well that you can go to for, for more of a bigger group feel. If you want to, you can go to be-less.org. It looks like bless, but it's be less. Uh, it's easy to remember. And uh, also, if you know Rosa Vanderkalk or go to CCB to get her information, she's, she's who you'd reach out to for a one-on-one. Aside from that, um, I'd like to just do a little recap of where we've been. I know, I'm Mr. Recap Guy, but I think it's important to, uh, to really consider what's been said and where we've been um, so far as we're just, you know, week after week, Sundays come and Sundays go, and it's easy to forget, it's easy to, to, to not continue to wrestle through and grow. So you might remember, as we've been talking about prayer, last week, Joe Stoll shared on a prayer from, from Philippians chapter 1. And this prayer, I think, would fall in the category of discernment. As you might have remembered him saying, there's a lot of decisions that we're going to have to make in life. And we live in a time of analysis by paralysis. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't know what to do and how do I choose what, you know, there's so many options for the typical American to, to choose and to do this or that. What am I supposed to do? And he's saying that a prayerful life, a life saturated in the love of Christ um, will be a life that will lead to not just good decisions, perfect decisions, but of fruitfulness. And really, the discernment that, uh, that comes from the Holy Spirit will lead to fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to, uh, when we pray, we want to pray a prayer, or we want to lean into the love of Christ that leads to that fruitfulness. The, the week prior to that was actually a pretty interesting topic that Rod shared on from 2 Corinthians, unanswered prayer. I mean... Can't talk about prayer without talking about what does that mean? How do you, what happens when you come before the Lord? He read that verse that where Paul said three times, I've come before the Lord with something on my heart and it hasn't been answered. And, and how do you process through that? 
And we started to see that kind of ironically. There is, we have the ability to pray ourselves farther and farther away from God. Like the request that he had would actually have led to him being farther from God. And so not in a malicious way, but God left that in his life to make sure that he stayed close with God, uh, whatever that may have been, whatever that weakness was. And what I find encouraging by, that, by this is um, there's a lot of places in the world where if you have weakness or if you have something that you're struggling with that you're just kicked out and you're not allowed to be here or even in Paul's day, you'd be discarded from society for various weaknesses. But in this kingdom, God can actually... His power can actually be made perfect in, this, in weakness. I think that's what he said to Paul. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So um, the week prior to that, we, we started the whole thing off with Ephesians chapter 1. This big prophetic prayer of having the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know God better. And having the eyes of your heart open to see the hope that we have in Christ. And if you could go back to Ephesians chapter 1 in your mind and that heart that he has for the church in Ephesus, that would only be helpful uh, to you today because today I want to read you from Ephesians as well. It's just going to be Ephesians chapter 3. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and see kind of where that prayer and where Paul has um, kind of been leading up until this point, um, I'd like to read that to you. But while you're turning there, I'd like to remind you of a few things about their context. Ephesus, what a weird word. Ephesians, what is that? It's a city in uh, Western Turkey, or what they would call in the Bible times, Asia Minor. This was not uh, a Jewish town. This was a Roman city, okay? This is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. 250,000 people living in the city proper, all on top of each other. There's all kinds of different trade coming in through the land and by the sea, Heard that somewhere in a different book of the Bible. Um, and, 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 and with that trade, there's all kinds of different culture and ideas and ways of figuring out how to, how to make sure that we keep the gods happy. That's right. One of the most important things to think about when you're thinking of a context of the New Testament city is their theology or, or their, the way they think about God. And archaeologists have uncovered over 20 major temples in Ephesus. This was a place of central worship for some of the Roman gods. And, and with that comes a culture of all, I mean, got to remember, there was no separation of church and state in their day. I mean, this was all integrated. The, their, their livelihoods often were worked within the temple courts. They had things that, like the food that they would sell would be a part of this. They had guilds and all kinds of stuff that they were doing to make idols. And how much of that would be a part of the tension of the life of people who are Christian in Ephesus. And, and there's, this is something that they were struggling with and trying to figure out. Now you have on the one hand, a whole group of people who think we've got it figured out. Don't mess with it. Or else you're gonna make the gods angry with us and you're gonna cause us all kinds of grief and we're gonna have a famine or something like that. On the other hand, you have these people who are like, I can't help it. I've experienced something and it's changed my life and I'm trying to figure this out. And so Paul is writing to encourage this group of people to continue to thread the needle because they're experiencing something that we often are, are getting even more and more so experiencing now. There is a rising hostility in our world towards Christians and people who believe in Jesus. There is um, a, a tension that we are always trying to figure out is, is how, 
when we are being kind of pushed down or, or antagonized, at the same time, we, we feel that we're not promised in the New Testament that it's never going to happen. Actually, we're promised that it will happen. And at the same time, there are people who see your good deeds and who see that light that shines without you, and they're attracted to it. So it's both happening at the same time. And Paul's trying to encourage this church that's developing in this major city. And so with that context in mind, um, he, he gives a big vision for what God is doing in this world, and he's praying for them to get it. And so with that prayer, I'd like to just read to you actually the whole chapter of three, um, and I think it will benefit us more long term. If you'd stand with me, if you're willing and able to, for the reading of scripture. And Paul writes to the Ephesian church, for this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery been made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly, and in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into that mystery of Christ, which wasn't made known to people in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers in the promise of Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for the ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power to, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So no explanation needed, just pray like this. Uh, yeah, that is, that is not something that I ever want to say, is, is to just mimic 
a prayer just for the sake of mimicry. I mean, there is no bar that I want to set for you to, to say. It, it was, when you can pray like Paul, like this, then you've arrived. Now you're a good person of prayer. I mean, going against that last line that he said there in, in verse, I think it was 11, uh, 12. In, you, you may approach God with freedom and confidence. I mean, there's a lot of people that I've interacted with over my life where freedom and confidence is not exactly what their approach to God in prayer feels like. There's a lot of insecurity and doubt. And I would never want to put an insecurity in that place of prayer in your life because I can't think of a more intimate space than that groan or that outcry of your life. So it's good to wrestle with, uh, with stuff and to grow and to, and to evaluate kind of where I'm at. And I hope you've been doing that over the past uh, month when it comes to how we pray and what we pray for. I have uh, been evaluating kind of the journey that I've been on with prayer. And uh, it's been kind of an exciting kind of just memory. Just I, I, I can't help but think about when I first became like a, an adult like, I'm an adult follower of Christ. Like, I'm choosing now, because I grew up in, in a church, a Christian home. Okay, I had no choice, all right? Our house was connected to the church, right? Like, you have to, you're here. Now, when I became an adult, to choose to be a part of this and, and make it a part of my life, like, I want to follow Christ. The first practice that just bubbled up from within me, the first discipline here was prayer. I remember I was living on the east side and, and I just was like, all right, I'm going to do something, you know. And every night before bed, I would just pray in each, like, direction, okay. Like, each direction of a compass. Like, I want to pray. If anybody in this direction that I know, I'm going to pray by name as, and, and just lift them up. And I was just like, this is what I'm doing. This is my faith right now. And then I moved to this city in West Michigan I've never heard of before, Grand Rapids, Okay, I, I didn't have the internet. Okay, I wasn't like Mr. All right, sorry. And I know it's a big deal, Grand Rapids. And I loved it. And then I stumbled through the door of this church. It was a little church plant in a gym at this school called Walker Charter Elementary School called Crossroads. And guess what? These, these people came up on stage shortly thereafter and said, we want to start this thing. And we're calling it an urban monastery. <laughs> An urban monastery. What is that? It's like a, it's like a place where you can live like in a, in a lifestyle of, of the monks, but also it's an urban, it's like a modern context. And, and people are going to live there. And it's going to, and it was, for a lot of people, it was kind of hard to pin down. Like, what even is that place? And there were two things that really marked out the map for what they wanted to do. And one was hospitality. They always wanted to be a place where everybody was welcome to the table to eat and to be together. And two, pray every day. They would pray. They had this play. They would, everybody would come to pray together, sometimes once a day, sometimes twice a day. And it just kept growing and developing, and all kinds of people would come, and, and their gifts would be shared, and, and it would be just like always kind of evolving to, uh, around who was there. And at one point, Crossroads figured this out, that they could, we could have people sign up for hours on end. And believe it or not, this church at one point prayed for six months straight. I can't believe it. Now I think about it, it just is like, I mean, this is a, this is a praying church. 
And in that season, um, the guy that was in charge, Tony Tenero, he used to say this all the time, we just want to invite you to join the conversation. And I was so impacted being there. I mean, not a lot of people know this about me. I lived in this place for five years of my life. I never think about, I mean, I should probably think more about just being in that rhythm and being in that place of prayer. But I was just struck by this invitation that God is always inviting us to pray, to talk to him. He is constantly inviting us in. As you are, wherever you are, pray. He cares about what you say. He cares about what you feel and what you think and what's going on inside of you. Eugene Peterson um, said once, the prayer is the cradle language of the church. The mother tongue of the Christian, this, like the, the language of a baby, <laughs> And what he means by that is he wants to say, like, that deep place inside of you that cries out and groans is that God is hearing that, and he is a part of that. I think it's ironic that we try it and, and lose that over our, our life, and we dress up prayer, and we try and put, like, good big words on it and, and feel like we have to have all the commas or whatever, and, like, and we, may, we make it sound like it's just not a part of our natural heart and our, and our soul, and um, I think that's a shame. So what I've been doing is, uh, for years now, trying to associate prayer whenever I hear the cry of a baby as my, I just take that as my kind of uh, symbol. <laughs> you might have heard it. When a baby comes out of here crying, I'm always like, that's me. That's me praying right there. Like, that is just a natural thing that I'm trying to tell myself. Like, this is okay. That's who, who, what I'm like. Because even now, I have a two-month-old in my house, and I don't know if you've ever been around a two-month-old before, but they have an outcry very regularly. And they're okay with that. They just are okay just crying and screaming and this is what they're doing. And I am just so happy to just go and, and be there for this child. Side, side note, okay, I know I'm rambling, but it all kind of makes sense in the end. When I, we were at the doctor and they're like, do you have any questions about the baby? And I was like, "Why?" I have a question. Why can't a baby laugh? And she's like... <laughs> I mean, like, questions about that, not questions like that, you know. And uh, Chelsea's all embarrassed, like, why? No, I'm, this is my question. And, he, and she, she said to us, probably because nobody would take care of a baby that was just laughing. Like, <laughs> you walk by a baby and it's just dying laughing. You're good. You don't need to eat. You don't need anything. Hey, good to see you again, you know. Babies need to cry. And, and so what I'm doing is, like, Kind of, I resonate with Eugene Peterson's quote there of like the cradle language of the church is prayer because um, how easy is it for me to hear that cry and anybody really who has a heart to hear a baby cry and be like, how can I help you? How much more so would my heavenly father hear my cry and hear where I really am and hear what I'm really groaning with and thinking through, come to my side and say, I'm here. What can I do? How can I help you and nurture you and be with you? And so as I'm thinking through uh, prayer for the last few weeks, you know, these are some of the thoughts uh, that are coming to mind for me of, of what prayer is. And when I look at this Ephesians 3 prayer, you know, we can talk all day about the what that's in this prayer. Because, and you know what, we probably could. It has the kingdom of heaven all over it. 
Um, but what I've been doing, instead of just merely dissecting it, is I really have been just trying to, to, to pace with it and come alongside of this prayer and just be like, how can, I, how can I rewrite this? Like every day this week, I've been just rewriting it and trying to get into my own language and into my heart. And it's led me to really think that maybe today, uh, just right now, we can just pause and just say, let's just pray this prayer together. And I think that because maybe this would just be, this could just be a simple thing. Like this could just be your prayer this week. If there was any bit of it that you could resonate with or like feel like it's speaking to you, then take it on as like your prayer for you to, to, to pray with this week. And so I don't know if it's the right thing to do or not, but I just, I really feel like praying this prayer out together right now would be um, which is on my heart. And so if you join me in prayer, and I'm just going to use this prayer um, as, as sort of a launching point. For anybody that's here, anybody that's a Christian, I mean, that, that's a part of the church in this world, we just fall before you, God, as our Father who knows and hears our cries, who everybody's connected to you. Do you still hear the cries of our hearts? And if anybody feels like just abandoned or unheard, would you just come to their side today? Like a father who loves his children and let them know that you're here and nurture them and strengthen them in their innermost being. From the inside out, give them strength. Give us, give me strength. I sometimes just feel so beat down by this world and so just brittle and frail because of everything that's always going on and just stressed out. And can you, could you strengthen us by your power from the inside out? Give us a resilience and a space that's just, uh, that's structured, that's strong enough to where Christ can dwell there in faith, that, that he could have a prominent place in our hearts. And if there's any of us where Christ is just not in a prominent place in our hearts, will you, Holy Spirit, convict us and make, help us to make that room so he can be in the center and on the throne and calling the shots. Spirit, help us to discern what we are rooted in and what we're building on and established upon. And I just love that you're giving us permission to build upon love, to build upon and be rooted and, and grounded on love. Like a mind-blowing, surpassing knowledge type love that we can't really track down. Just inspire us to be able to get lost in this mystery of immeasurable love that you have for us. In a world that's just full of scarcity mindsets and running out of everything and always everybody's feeling like we have to protect ourselves. But when we enter into your love, into this space of self-sacrifice and, and humility and servanthood, we start to see 
there's no shortage of love in your kingdom. There's always more love for us. Some of us have been told, your reservoir, your, the love that's allotted for you, it's, gone, it's almost out. If you make one more mistake, there's no more love for you. That's not true. If you went into the ocean you, it, and love was an ocean, you couldn't find the depth of it. If it was a mountain, you couldn't find the height. If it was a prairie, the fences are all down. The love of God is an expansive and immeasurable and, um, and amount for you, for us, for this church, for this world. Help us to, to grasp that somehow so that we can be filled to the fullness of who you are, to the fullest, fullest measure of God. And I... I'm tempted to fill my heart and to fill my soul with other things. And if there's anybody else here just like that, we, 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 we can fill our hearts up with stuff that promises to satisfy, stuff that promises to remove our insecurities, stuff that promises to give us uh, what we think we need. Maybe today we just let it go and open our hands and hearts up for, the, for God, the creator of all things, the creator of life, to bring life into our innermost being to the fullest measure. We want to be filled up with who you are, God, in this world so that we can display who you are in, into the darkness. We come to you with all of these things on our hearts and we thank you for uh, for for being this for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This could be your prayer this week. I mean, if there's any of us that just feel brittle and frail inside, come to the Lord for strength. It's been a while since you felt like that the love of God was just immense and, and wonderful. Ask him to just gr help you grasp, grasp something that you can't grasp. That you will then be inspired by that to, to live a life rooted in, you're building upon this reality of love, an immense amount of love. What a powerful prayer. I feel lucky to be able to, to get this today. Well, that, in a, in a sense, is the what of the prayer. And in a, in a lot of ways, that could just be, okay, this is it. This is the prayer. <laughs> That's the what. But I'd be remiss to, to not mention that there actually is an occasion for this prayer. There is a why that Paul prayed this prayer. And he thinks that the fulfillment of this prayer for the church will lead to the rest of this letter kind of being... Uh, for them to be able to live this out. If you're a student of Ephesians, you'll know that chapter three, especially this prayer in chapter three, is the hinge point of the whole letter. Everything else after this is practical application and admonition. And so uh, here at this point, he stops to pray. In the first two chapters, he has this big picture view of what he sees God doing in the world. And I think that by, I mean, you can, implication here, his pause to prayer is because he sees these things as the important things, the strength from God, the love of God, the fullness of God, to be present in the church, 
uh, to, to, to empower them to live this out. What is his vision? So the reason why I say that is because the first word of chapter 13, or chapter 3, verse 13, is for this reason. Okay, for, for this reason. My response to this, or on account of this, or therefore I'm praying this. But you might have noticed as, as I was reading that in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says that also, for this reason, I, Paul, prisoner for you, the Gentiles. And there's that really big line, that dash there to signify that in verse 1, there really is no verb. He doesn't get to the verb until verse 13. Kneel. That's what he was going to say. He was going to say, I kneel before the Father and pray for you. Uh, but instead, he pauses for this like 11 verse parentheses to explain um, a little bit of what's personally happening in his life. And so the way I like to view this is um, Paul, is he has this big picture of what Christ is doing in the world in chapter 2. Christ's triumph over the evil powers of this world and, 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 and inventing the church and bringing us all together. And he wants to pray for, for that reality to be present in the church. But he has this pause and he's like, this is how this works in actually my own life. And so I'll just wander around those two places uh, for a few minutes here to see if we can get in the same mindset as Paul and pray this prayer for ourselves and for the church. So as Paul starts to describe what he sees God doing in the world, you can't help but notice that he play, puts these characters on the board that often we, we don't really talk about. In chapter 3, I read it, you can see in verse 10, he, taught, he says the church will be uh, showing the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. This is a group of people, uh, people of beings that Paul talks about all the time. Five out of the six chapters in Ephesians, he references this group in different ways. The schemes of the devil, or letting the devil have a foothold, or in chapter 2, the rulers of the powers of the air, or in chapter 6, 12, on one of my life verses, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of evil and heavenly realms. Who are these people? Character, what I mean, what is this? And how do those characters play into our worldview and our practice in life um, as we grow into being the church that God has made us to be? Well, if you're like me, you probably grew up uh, when, it, when it comes to talking about evil and evil characters in this world in more of a, a picture depicted like in the Gospels where uh, it's more of like an individual being attacked by a demon or something or there's some sort of, what, what would you say, exorcism or something happening. And it's like stories like that. But I've often just never taken time uh, growing up to like really track down who are the, what is a big picture going on with this stuff. In, and it caused me to skim over things like in Daniel chapter 10. You guys might remember, Daniel's in prayer and he gets visited by an angel. But what does Michael, the angel, say to him? I would have been here three weeks ago, but I was, um, I was in conflict with the powers of the Prince of Persia. And it took me this long to just figure that out. What are you talking about? You know, and, and there's no, the, the tricky part is there's no book of the Bible that like, there's the chapter on the rulers and authorities so that we have it all figured out. It's an assumed reality. It's referenced and mentioned in various places like we're all on the same page. And for Paul, so he thinks of this group in terms of like a cosmic hostile group that is, impl that is implementing um, 
antagonistic ideologies in this world, ways of thinking in this world that cause division, chaos, and disorder. Ways of thinking for people in this world that tear them apart and, and, and hinder flourishing for the way that God would want us to live in his good creation. So you can see this in chapter 2 as he says, though you were dead, you were in this place called dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And, and then he brings this character right to the board, uh, this group, and says, um, in which you used to live, when you follow the ways of this world, that's a phrase that we should all know, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. Um, and so as he references this group, he references it in, in, in a way that causes um, enslavement in humanity or at least manages that enslavement and encourages a continual lifestyle in that enslavement. It used to be, uh, but a lot of people are stuck, stuck in that still. And what the, church, the vision for the church is, is as a place of people, a group of people that show people another way. Maybe anybody in the world who would just feel stuck in this place of enslavement. I can't get out of it. I am, I am constantly here. The church becomes the place where, where they're told that you can be free from this. That's what 3 verse 10 kind of points out, isn't it? The church will be the place where the wisdom of God is shown to the rulers and authorities. I mean, that is a really cool and striking responsibility for us as a church and encouragement for us to continue to be who God has designed us to be. Let me peel back the layers further. First Corinthians 2, verse 6, if you're taking notes, is a very important verse um, as, as I think about this reality. When you see in Ephesians 2 when it says the ways of the world, you used to be in the ways of the world and following the, the ruler of this world, the ways of this world, uh, to me, is a way of thinking in this world that follows the logic of the rulers and authorities, that follows their pattern of thinking. And in, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Paul just flat out says it. We speak of a wisdom to the mature, not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, because if they had known it, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's, there he exposes a, a way of thinking in this world uh, that is causing more devastation and crucifixion and, and pain. But then there's a way, of, there's a wisdom of God. There's a way of thinking with God that actually leads to um, crucifixion being victory and being a place of triumph. And so as Paul lays out this logic, I'm, I can't help but think, are there patterns of this world that we are conforming to that really manifest the rule in our lives of the rulers and authorities? It's hard work to undo this. And it requires praying big prayers like chapter 3 for people to get out of it. But have you asked yourself, am I lining up with the rulers and authorities, with the patterns of, uh, of this world? Romans 12 verse 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. What are they? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's ways that we can be imaginative and think. Think ways that are gospel-centered and cross-centered and Christ-exalting. And these ways of thinking cause us to start to, to anticipate uh, because 
most of us are fluent in the ways of the world because we've been living that way our whole lives. We can anticipate when that would come up uh, in our life and we can imagine gospel-centered, um, gospel-unique solutions to those problems that the world could never have, on, they could never come up with on their own. Right now, if it's sounding confusing, what I'm really trying to say is these rulers and authorities hate us and they foster hostility and hatred in our hearts. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so I don't think that way. I think when I read about these characters, though, in the Bible, it sounds a lot like characters that would do things like structure, like ideological stuff in our culture to change the way people think, to start to cause more chaos and destruction. Like what happened to marriage? Like over years, nobody's specifically sitting in a dark room somewhere and says, in 25 years, I'm going to make it so that people don't care anymore. Uh, well, what happened? What happened to morality? There's this way, there's something behind the scenes saying, you know what? It doesn't matter anymore to be moral and to be holy and to be obedient to God. It doesn't matter. It's not a thing anymore. I mean, there's uh, all, all the way down the line of like the ideologies of this world that seem so obvious. I like to just think... Um, the rulers and authorities are working there. And I gotta try my best to not line up with them because I don't wanna manifest their reality in this world. I don't believe that they're in charge. I'm living in a, in a, in a future reality. First time ever in my life, I think, we came up with a, uh, a graphic to sort of show some of this, okay? It's not really my thing. Brittany uh, made this graphic for us. And um, Steph Tesla made a very larger, expanded version of this that we have on the tables on your way out. Um, if you're interested in just sort of identifying some of the stuff that would live in the, on the left side of this would be just the common mentality of the ways of the world. And what we are invited into as new creation, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, he has created a whole new humanity we are, we are given the ability through Christ to start living, to living out this new creation uh, reality. And so I think it's a good use of time to just pick some stuff off of that list and start to wonder, am I allowing, you know, am I allowing this stuff to just fester and foster, is the way I'm living my life look like the left side of this or look like I'm headed towards the right side of this? And if right now you're like, whoa, Dan, don't tell me to do stuff, okay? Because Ephesians chapter 2 says, you know, by grace you're saved through faith. Uh, and I know I'm not the guy to, here to tell you, you know, you got to earn your salvation or whatever. Uh, but I don't think that grace is opposed to effort. I think grace is opposed to earning. Okay, so it's okay to, to put this stuff into practice. Isn't that what Jesus said? The wise man he builds and he puts my words into practice in his life. And we have to start to figure and, and be discerning and identify, am I, uh, in the way I live my life, am I following um, this new pattern, this new way of life, or am I building up these walls of hostility? He says there's walls of hostility that have been built up between people groups. And this is uh, the last, I'll, I'll let it go after this. Um, they really come up, so sorry. The walls of hostility that are built up between people groups have been broken by the cross. 
And, and so I pair that with 612, that there is no enemy of flesh and blood on, on, in my life. It's, it's, it's these guys that are my enemies. It's these guys I have to call out and articulate and, and, and uh, discern about. The wall of hostility that they'll, I mean, they'll tell you that group of people that think differently than you, treat them hostily. Uh, that group of people that act different than you or, or have a different thought or, 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 or a different lifestyle, build a wall between them, separate, conquer them, get power over and above them. That type of thinking, I think, leads to living in an old creation paradigm. And we are welcomed and invited by the gospel and the power of the cross that has broken these walls down that says, actually, I'm creating a new humanity here. A new humanity that's full of diversity and difference and different gift sets and gifts that we can give one another with our nuance and different backgrounds. And he calls it the church. This place that shouldn't work, but it does. And if you can say that line about patterns in your life, I think it's a way of discerning. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a way of discerning if the Spirit of God is moving in a place or not. You know what? This shouldn't work, but it does. If your imagination right now is stuck and you're just like, I can't imagine how I could run a business in a way that's patterned after the cross, in a way that looks like Jesus, then ask God to baptize your imagination in his love and pray this prayer from, from Ephesians 3 that you would be strengthened and rooted and, 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 and filled with who God is because uh, the world's going to continue to give you permission to shortcut him and... and, and uh, to live in a pattern of this world. If you think right now, I've been given permission to not forgive that person or my spouse or whatever, you don't, you don't know what they said to me. The gospel in your life is gonna provide the power and the strength that you need and a, and a unique solution uh, to figure this out, to figure out forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration. And when we do that, it's going to be a brilliant light in the darkness and people are going to be, I don't, I don't have a category for that person. How do you live like that? So Paul sees this huge vision of what God's doing in the world and he says, for this reason, I'm going to pray for you to be strengthened and to have the fullness of God so that you can live consistently with this. But he pauses with that dash in verse one of chapter three. And I think that dash represents Paul saying, I know that, okay, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf, he's like, okay, that sounded bad. Um, <laughs> there could be people who are like, hear that and think, man, sorry, Paul, I, I guess I wish that you weren't in jail because of me or, uh, you know, and he wants to explain actually how this new creation paradigm, the, the, the cruciform paradigm that he's laying out can actually thrive in prison. So he, he, he anticipates this and says, wait, 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 wait. You guys, don't be ashamed of my suffering on your behalf. It's actually your glory because I've been given this message that I'm giving my life to. And in the realm of the rulers and authorities, what this should look like is defeat. But in the kingdom of heaven, because I'm being empowered and strengthened and encouraged to continue here, even in jail, it's a picture of God's triumph over the system of darkness in this world. When somebody's in jail and is like, the world should just say, to just look at this and say, you lose, Paul. <laughs> all the, good for you, all the sacrifice you made, that's for nothing, now you're in jail. And all the, 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 the suffering that you're doing, 
it's, it's all leading towards you being beheaded in Rome or whatever. And, and that could be a way to read this story. But in the kingdom of heaven, God actually does a lot when people are self-sacrificing and suffering. At the very center of this story, it stands a cross where Jesus, said, uh, where Jesus tells us, <laughs> this is not a defeat. This is who I am. This is where the victory takes place. And this is where the resurrection power of God is poured out into your life. And so you are welcomed and invited into this reality of picking up your cross and following Jesus in this world and doing things that to the world seem strange and they don't understand it and it looks like you're being frivolous and wasteful. And, but it's not your job to, to produce results. It's your job to display Christ in this world and his wisdom as the church. And if, and if that's at all on your heart, then you'll know it's not gonna be easy. It is not easy to be a forgiving person or to be a person that believes in humility and self-sacrifice. But for this reason, we, we get on our knees before the Lord for one another and pray for strength in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith and that you can just be so solid and rooted in love, an immeasurable amount of love and be filled with the fullness of God so that the church can give glory to God and be a beacon of hope to a lot of people who are suffering in this dark world. So if that's at all something that, that, that you can really consider and think about this week, let's just take a moment and pray. And um, the band's gonna come back and lead us in a song that you may or may not know, but it's just sort of on our heart today. And so I want to invite you, if you, if you know it, to sing it. If not, to just be uh, considerate and think, um, think on these things for, for a few minutes. So I'll just uh, start off our time with just uh, a prayer into this, into this stuff. If there's any of us here who just feel like we've been stuck in the patterns of this world... And just need what Rod talked about four weeks ago, the spirit of wisdom and revelation to just break into our lives, to open the eyes of our hearts, to be able to see the hope that we have. Then do that even now, Lord, as I speak. If any of us just feel just stuck and just stuck in this cycle of disorder and confusion that's come to be just so natural for this world, today just give us a, a moment of clarity and a glimpse of what could be if the church, if she would just be who she was destined to be, a place of welcoming humility and self-sacrifice, a place where love is just immeasurable and, and what we are built upon. We thank you, Jesus, for your example as our champion and leader and thank you for permission to build upon you, to build. The wise man will build his house upon the rock. For everything else that we build on is going to fall and fail and crumble when the rain comes. But you have a resilience and you have a strength that you give us when the rain comes so that we're able to withstand and be a place of refuge for this world.
So we lift up our hearts to you. And we ask you to just teach us about your love and about how to love this world the way you do.